0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to New Books and Critical Theory. That's a podcast part of the New Books Network. On this episode, I'm talking to John Thompson, who's the author of Book Wars, The Digital Revolution in Publishing. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very
0: much. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Um, this book... Um, I, I guess in a funny way actually is, is kind of about um or covers uh book podcasts as much as it does a whole range of uh phenomenon that's that's happened in terms of the digital uh revolution in publishing. Um you're very well known already for your, your work on publishing. And I'm I'm interested to know as as a starter why you thought um it was the time to do um if not a kind of a sequel, but certainly a follow-up to your previous work, to think about the impact of digital on the industry.
0: Well, I've been working on the book publishing industry for some 20 years now. I'm a sociologist by background and interested in media and cultural institutions. Uh, And I was conscious in the 1990s that the one media and cultural institution that had been largely neglected by social scientists was in fact the oldest of the media industries the book publishing industry been dealt with only by a few authors back in the 1970s and 80s uh, but hadn't really been addressed in more recent years so i began to think about how to do systematic research on the changing nature of the book publishing industry and I, over the next 10 years, I did two major projects, one on the transformation of academic publishing called Books in the Digital Age, and the other on the transformation of trade publishing, which was called Merchants of Culture. And in both of those books, of course, I gave a lot of attention to the impact of the digital revolution on the book publishing industry. But that was never the, the sole focal point of those earlier works. They, the earlier works were concerned with them much. Broader range of changes that had restructured uh, the book publishing industry in these two sectors of the book publishing industry since the 1960s, including, for example, growing concentration in, in these industries. So I hadn't really looked in great detail at the change, at the impact of the digital revolution on book publishing. And I hadn't really looked at the many alternative forms of publishing that were being created by this enormous technological change that we associate with the digital revolution. And so around 2010, 2012, I decided that I really wanted to look at that question in particular. It was something that everyone was interested in, everyone was concerned about because everyone was aware that the media and cultural industries were being disrupted tremendously by the digital revolution you only had to look at the music industry to see how radical and dramatic the change was and so there were many people in the book publishing industry throughout the first decade of the 21st century who were really really concerned about what was going to happen to the future of books given this tremendous technological change that was taking place so that's why i set out to Focus on that question and to really try to get a deep understanding of what happens when a technological revolution like the digital revolution collides with a well-established media industry like the book publishing industry and to really think this through in great detail without just speculating vaguely and abstractly about what the impact was likely to be
1: you've flagged actually a a couple of the key things that we'll, we'll probably get into over the course of of our discussion the trends in concentration with seemingly kind of you know brand new players but at the same time these sets of possibilities of you know maybe a democratized or um, at least a, a sort of slightly more open uh, route for potential authors and actually you know, uh, potential uh, literary subcultures associated with them. At the same time, you, you've also kind of mentioned, I guess, one of the big questions that animates the book when you mention the music industry. And I mean, this runs right the way uh, through the book, and it you know it, it, it's not a question uh, that you can probably answer without. Reading all of the book, but I'm, I'm intrigued by that comparison. And I guess um, the question is why did the publishing industry not see the same sort of um, impact for some, you know, disaster, for others, uh, disruption as happened in the music industry, you know, from things like the total transformation of how music is delivered as a, um, you know, set of object forms through to. Uh, the transformation of uh, artistic uh, revenues. Music, you know, it was, was really heavily transformed by the rise of digital technology. And whilst publishing, you know, has, has definitely seen some changes and you catalogue them in detail in the book, actually this comparison, you know, that there isn't the same sort of disruption. And I wonder if you could kind of sketch, I guess, why the two industries were different and, and what has in some ways kind of protected publishing.
0: Well, it's a great question, and it's the question that was absolutely at the forefront of the minds of everyone in the book publishing industry in the early 2000s. Um, I was doing research in the industry in the early 2000s, and I was interviewing the CEOs and senior managers of many of the large um, publishing houses in New York and London. And they were all looking over their shoulders at what was happening in the music industry. And thinking, is this going to happen to us too? Are we going to go the same direction of the music industry? And why not? Um, Because the reason why the media and cultural industries are so susceptible to disruption by the digital revolution is simple. And that is that these industries deal above all in symbolic content. And symbolic content can be digitized. Music can be digitized. Book content can be digitized and so on. Uh, films can be digitized. And when you can digitize the content, you don't need to put that content in the s- same container uh, that it was in previously. So you don't need to embed the content of music in a vinyl LP. You don't need to embed the content of books in a print-on-paper book. You can uh, deal with that content, store it in another medium and transmit it to users consumers in a different way through networks and allow them to consume it in a different way without having to open the pages of a print-on-paper book so it seemed if you just thought about it logically uh, that the book publishing industry was just as exposed to digital disruption as the music industry and it may be hard to recall this now but the disruption in the music industry in the early 2000s was enormous this is an industry, the U.S. recorded music industry was an industry that saw its revenues fall by half, by 50 percent in the decade from 2000 to 2010. That's a dramatic decline in the revenues of an industry. And of course, we know the newspaper industry also experienced serious disruption and, and still is and so on and so forth. So there were many people in the book publishing industry who were looking over their shoulders at the music industry and thinking this was the future of the book foretold. And then when the uh, Amazon's Kindle was launched in November 2007, it seemed to many people in the industry and many observers of the industry as though this were the the publishing industry's iPod moment. This was the moment when we would see the dramatic transformation in the book publishing industry, and it would go from there, it would go in the same direction as the music industry. And indeed, in the first few years after the introduction of the Kindle in 2008, 2009, 2010, it looked like that was exactly what was happening because eBooks just took off dramatically. The industry had not seen that kind of phenomenal growth for a very, very long time. It was a very dramatic moment. Uh, but then something equally dramatic happened, which is that the ebook surge just stopped in 2012, 2013, 2014. It just stopped. It no longer increased in the way that it had done for four or five years after the introduction of the Kindle. So this meant that the pattern of development in the book industry became fundamentally different from that of the music industry and 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 you can't really directly compare the trajectories of these industries in terms of the impact of the digital revolution they were very very different so why were they so different to return to your question well various reasons but i suppose three are particularly important here um, one is the timing uh, this was significant because the digital revolution hit the music industry first. Uh, you know there was Napster around 2000, and the iTunes store opened in around 2003. And so this was four or five years before the Kindle was introduced in the book publishing industry. So that gave the book publishing industry four or five years to look at what was happening in a parallel industry and to think about it and to learn some lessons from it. And they did indeed learn some lessons. So they had a kind of, I suppose you could call it a second mover advantage. That is, they were able to look at what was happening in the sister industry and take some action to try to prevent it from happening in their industry. And that's exactly what they did. So, for example, they saw what had happened with Napster, the dangers of illicit file sharing. And they realized that they had to be very proactive to make their book content available legitimately through a legal mechanism of transmission and sale that eventually the Kindle would provide. They didn't know it was going to be the Kindle, but they knew they had to be ready for it if and when a device and a system for delivery was introduced. They knew that if they tried to to swim against the tide they tried to control their content by not making it available digitally they were very likely to see a enormous growth in illegitimate channels or illegal trade in digital content so they took sta- steps to avoid that and second they also saw that that there was an enormous danger Of price deflation in a industry like music and books um, that when you had your content available in digital formats the retailers and other players could push down the prices very very significantly just as apple did with music by pricing songs at 99 cents and when the kindle was introduced in 2007 amazon did exactly the same thing they tried to put very strong downward pressure on prices, pricing many bestsellers at $9.99 uh, to keep it under that $10 critical threshold. This led to an enormous battle struggle within the industry around the pricing of ebooks, and eventually it led to publishers wresting control back from retailers over the pricing of ebooks so that they could control the price. That became a very, very significant development in the industry. A second reason, I think, why the industries were different was that these are different kinds of symbolic goods. Um, A a, a vinyl LP is in many ways an arbitrary collection of songs that can be unbundled and sold individually. Each song can be sold for 99 cents, as iTunes did. Uh, But a book is not an arbitrary collection of chapters. There's no point in buying one chapter of a novel. You need the whole novel, and so it can't be the the object the the nature of the symbolic goods is very different and they can't be unbundled in the same way as music can and third, perhaps most importantly is that for for readers, there are many more downsides in moving from print to digital than there are for music listeners. Many readers prefer reading a book on a printed page, rather than reading on a screen. They value the printed book as an object, both as a convenient reading device that's easy on the eyes, but also as an aesthetic object, as a cultural object that has aesthetic value in and for itself. It is a beautiful object that they like to own and possess and to give to others as a gift. So it has a aesthetic and cultural value for them, that, um, that a LP may not have or may not have to the same degree. Um, and so for these, at least for these three reasons, these industries took very different directions. And it shows you the, the risks and dangers involved in trying to generalize about the impact of technological change on the media industries or indeed in any sector of society. the the question of the impact is a very, very complicated one that varies from industry to industry and sector to sector. And one of the things that I try to do in the book is to just show you how enormously complicated and, of course, enormously rich this impact is. It is not a simple story. It's a very rich, complicated story, which has many different elements to it. And I try to tease those out in some detail.
1: Yeah, I mean, even in that comparison, uh, you flagged up all different kinds of questions and you've ranged across uh, several of, of the chapters in, in the book as well. You, you mentioned a key player, which I think we probably need to have a bit of a discussion about in, in some detail, which is Amazon. And, and Amazon is both, you know, it, it forms um, a full chapter in its own right, but it's a kind of an ever present, really, throughout the book, you know, both. Um, in terms of technology, things like the Kindle, um, but also as, you know, kind of a key uh, market player, as a publisher itself, you know, as a, a, as a platform. And I'm interested in, in where Amazon fits in this story, both, you know, as, as websites, as, as you describe, as publisher, um, and as, this is not at all appropriate, but as kind of, you know, villain and hero in, in, in some ways in the story as well. Well, many people, when they
0: think about the digital revolution in the publishing industry, what they think about first and foremost is the e-book, uh, and that's perfectly understandable because the e-book is the um, is the is the delivery mechanism that looks like it's going to spell the demise of the print-on-paper book, and this is what people think about when they think about. You know the disruption of the book industry, the the disappearance of the physical book, its replacement by the e-book, and so on and so forth. And then, when you see that, in fact, that didn't happen, that e-books did become very important, and they are important in the industry. They still are very important in the industry, but they are not eclipsing the printed book. They are not destroying the printed book. And when they see that, they might think, um, well, actually the impact of the digital revolution on the book publishing industry is negligible because we still have physical books everywhere and it doesn't seem to have had much impact at all. But that would be the wrong conclusion. The, the impact, there's an in, the, the digital revolution has had and is having an enormous impact on the book publishing industry and probably the most significant area To date, where it has transformed and disrupted this industry is not in terms of the delivery of content to the consumer, but in terms of the retail landscape of the industry. You know, if we went back to 1990, which is only 30 years ago, the retail landscape of the industry was dominated by large retail book chains like Barnes & Noble and Borders in the U.S. and Waterstones, Dillons, W.H. Smiths in the U.K. And uh, there were many small independent booksellers too, but they were under a lot of pressure by the very powerful book retail chains that emerged in the course of the 1970s and 80s. Those were the dominant players in the retail landscape of the publishing industry. And then, in 1995, there was a small startup in Seattle that was entirely a product of the digital revolution, namely Amazon, began in a garage. It was a startup, very small. No one at the time thought it was a serious player in the retail landscape of book publishing, but it grew very, very quickly. It had seen certain things that others had not seen, and it grew very, very quickly, and Within 20 years, it had become the dominant retail player. Indeed, today, Amazon is more powerful than any player that has ever existed in the 500-year history of the book publishing industry. Well, that's a strong statement to make, but it is the case. Amazon is now in a position of power within the industry that no organization has ever had before and that's because in part because it has come and now commands a very large market share so that um it, you know it it uh it now has a very large percentage of physical book sales accounts for a large percentage of physical book sales and a large percentage of ebook sales um, it was very innovative in the ebook sector, developing the Kindle, and it enabled it to um, become the dominant player in the emerging ebook marketplace. Uh, it also became very active early on in the audiobook sector by acquiring Audible, who was a major player or an emerging player in the early um, development of, of digital download digital download audiobooks. Uh, and so, by 2015, um, and between 2015 and 2020, uh, it had established a position of real dominance in the in the book industry. So, as I say, probably accounts for 45% of physical book sales in North America, probably counts for 75% or more of e-book sales, and it... through through its ownership of Audible is the major player in the audiobook retail sector too. So it has become absolutely critical in the industry, but that's not the only reason why it is such a powerful player in the industry. There is a second reason, a more complicated reason, but in some ways a more fundamental one. And that is that Amazon is very different from any retail organization that existed before in the book business. It's different because it's so early on that by virtue of the fact that it was operating as an online platform, it was able to gather personal information about everyone who bought the books on its platform. Because to buy a book on its platform, you have to hand over personal data information about who you are and your, um, credit card details and so on and so forth. And then from that point on, every thing you do on the platform, every book you browse, every book you purchase is recorded by the system. And therefore the system gathers an enormous amount of data about your browsing and purchasing behavior. And, of course, not just in books, but in every sector of that retail platform. So if you uh, are also buying garden equipment um, or clothes or whatever it might be from Amazon, then it is also gathering that information on you. So it became it was able to build up a very large database of personal data on everyone who used the platform and then use this data to its advantage. So uh, this is hugely significant. uh, And I spent a lot of time in the book talking about this because it's so important. And I give it a name, I call it information capital. This is the foundation of Amazon's power. Uh, And because it is in a completely different league from every other retail organization is able to accumulate huge quantities of information capital and use that to its advantage. Uh, And so that as a consumer, every time you get an email from Amazon saying, uh, you might be interested in the following six books, that targeted email to you is based on the information capital that they possess about your browsing um, behavior, your purchasing behavior, and so on and so forth. This is a very effective mechanism that no other retailer is able to um, to equal. So this put Amazon in a very, very strong position in the market, uh, much stronger than even its largest rivals, such as Barnes & Noble or Waterstones. They can't come anywhere near um, the kind of power that Amazon now wields in the industry.
1: The other thing that Amazon is... Um important for um and actually information capital is is crucial in in understanding is the world of um kind of self-publishing as, as you describe it in the book but you know that this potential world of you know short-circuiting the um, universe of literary agents and you know formal publishers of distribution to to bookshops and, and going direct between author and, and consumer but there is still you know a mediator and, and obviously amazon um, and it's uh Kindle were you know kind of crucial in I guess you know a quite hopeful narrative um, on this um, phenomenon uh, particularly around democratization and yet at the same time uh, it seems as if and, and, and the book um, gets into this that we've got a kind of a parallel universe really of you know uh, self-publishing reaching very few um, numbers in, in terms of audience authors you know not making money from it with the odd you know kind of exception that um, ends up in you know kind of Hollywood films and, and stuff like this. Um, Amazon isn't the only player here uh, there are a variety of different um, organizations and websites uh, that, that are crucial here but I, I was interested in um, getting you to um, discuss self-publishing because of the contrast i suppose with um, the market dominance of an organization like like amazon and you know at least the kind of the potential if not realized but at least the potential for a, a total uh, transformation of how the publishing world works
0: well i'm glad you've raised that because i i think self the the growth of self-publishing is also one of the really important consequences of the digital revolution in publishing. Again, not so readily seen by outsiders, but it's had a huge transformative impact on the field of publishing. So uh, self-publishing is not new. Um, so it would be wrong to say that self-publishing per se is a consequence of the digital revolution. Self-publishing goes back to the 1920s Um Back in the 1920s you saw the emergence of uh, a number of publishers in in the u.s um, who basically charged authors in order to publish their books they, they were often referred to rather pejoratively as vanity presses because of the fact that they charged the author to publish um, and this model existed for decades um, right through the 1950s and 60s and so on. And there were a number of these different vanity presses that were became substantial businesses, uh, published many, many, many books. So this model of, as it were, self-publishing, a model of self-publishing has been around for some time. But the digital revolution made it possible to overcome and to overturn the way in which the old vanity presses operated and the reason the main reason why it made possible to completely overturn that and turn self-publishing into something completely different from the vanity presses was this that the old vanity press model was that if an author wanted to self-publish their work they basically were given a quote by the self-publishing company this is what it's going to cost you to publish your work maybe it's going to be $5,000 $5,000 or $10,000 or whatever it might be, and we will produce your book and deliver a number of copies to you. You'll be charged up front. But with the digital revolution, a new model came about, developed by people like Bob Young and Lulu and Mark Coker and Smashwords and so on and so forth. And the, the model was the reverse of that. They said, they said, our organization should not be charging authors for the privilege of publishing their work. Rather, we will enable their work to be published on a platform, and we will then pay the author if the book sells. And if, before we pay the author, we will take a commission, and that commission is what we will use to run our business. But we're not gonna charge them up front. So it became possible from this point on for authors to choose to self-publish without having to pay anything up front. And they would simply use the platform that had been created by Lulu or Smashwords or whoever, whichever organization it might be to upload their content, self-publish their book. And voila, in a few minutes, their book would be self-published. They'd have to follow a number of rules to make sure that they had um, Formatted it correctly and so on and so forth, but then their book would suddenly be published and they would even be paid a substantial percentage, maybe as high as 70 or 80% of revenue, if and with when the book sold. And the other 10 or 20% or whatever it might be would be taken as a commission by the platform. This was turning the old model of self publishing on its head. And that new model basically completely opened up the field for a a variety, for a multiplicity of self-publishing startups to create new platforms that varied in one way or another from one another that offered slightly different combinations of opportunities for authors and so on. And the field just opened up. And of course, at some point, fairly early on, Amazon also saw the potential And they decided to enter the self-publishing field. They acquired uh, another company and they began to, around the same time as the uh, Kindle was introduced, they began to develop their self-publishing model. So they first had a print self-publishing model, which they called CreateSpace. And then they introduced a a Kindle self-publishing model, which they called Kindle Direct Publishing. And they became a very major player in the self-publishing world. Um, through CreateSpace and KDP or Kindle Direct Publishing. Indeed, they became very quickly the dominant player because not only did they create very effective platforms for self-publishing, but they enabled the author to, to lock into the um, Amazon's powerful uh, Kindle delivery system very easily. And therefore, it became a seamless process to publish a book on KDP and have it available as a Kindle within the Kindle ecosystem. Uh, And that was something that other self-publishing platforms didn't find so easy to do. Um, So it gave, again, Amazon a very strong competitive advantage in the exploding world of self-publishing. So what you now have is this rich and complex world of self-publishing, which is basically largely an uncharted territory. No one really knows exactly how big it is. No one really knows who all the players are and what is exactly going on in this world and so on and so forth. I set out again to try to map out that space and understand the contours of this emerging and expanding universe of self-publishing, largely hidden from the world of traditional publishing under the radar screen because the data is not readily available and so on and so forth. But it's a hugely significant world, um, not only because it um, is large in its own right, much larger in terms of output, in terms of titles published than the world of traditional publishing, but also because it enables authors to bypass the traditional gatekeepers of the publishing world. It's as simple as that. In the traditional publishing world, there are gatekeepers. There are agents and there are publishers. And the agents and publishers decide whether your work is worth publishing or not. The power is in their hands. And, of course, there are many, many, many authors who would like to publish something but find that they can't get past the gatekeepers for one reason or another. The world of the emergence of this world of self-publishing enabled those authors to proceed to publication, to find new pathways to publication that bypassed those traditional gatekeepers of, mainst- of the world of mainstream publishing. So it really dramatically changed the landscape of the publishing world.
1: There's... I mean there's so much in the book that we, we we could talk about um you know so much we've we've not even uh, touched on but but i'm conscious of, of of maybe rounding up with um one of the things the book comes to at, at the end and, and actually self-publishing is a um a quite nice um starting point for this you know you mentioned um it's really important it's you know kind of uncharted um is this area of of the publishing industry that you know, has really you know slightly gone kind of separate to considerations of of what's been going on, and within that, there's I guess the question of of what comes next for publishing, um, which is a, you know a fairly obvious concluding question. But I was intrigued actually by the way that um, the reader becomes really important in the uh, in the conclusion, you know, in the kind of um, very uh, late parts of the book, and and in terms of kind of what you think um, for the future of the industry, it would be good to hear both about what's likely to happen to books themselves, but also what, what are we like to see in terms of readers in the future? Let me let me
0: just deal with a couple of issues in relation to that question. Um, your question opens up so many possible uh, avenues of response, but I'll just focus perhaps on two. One, uh, to pick up an earlier discussion, is about the relation between print and digital. Uh, and, of course, we don't know how these issues are going to develop in the future. They could change in directions that we don't anticipate now. But my own view, having observed this industry over a long time period now, over 20 years, and done research on it throughout this period, is mm-hmm. that, In the book publishing industry, we're we're not likely to see a a one a a one direction shift from print to digital. It's not going to be a comprehensive um, movement in one direction. What we're likely to see instead is a a more varied ecology of print and digital alongside one another Um, and which kinds of books individuals prefer to purchase and read will depend to some extent on the individual but also it will depend on the kind of book Um, so what you see if you look carefully at what's happened over the last decade is that some kinds of books uh, are read in quite substantial numbers as ebooks and many readers will prefer them as ebooks for example genre fiction is the perfect example of that romance romance is very popular in ebook format Um, whereas other types of books uh, especially um, some serious non-fiction books uh, as well as um, cookbooks children's books travel books heavily illustrated books all of those different types of books tend to have relatively low uptake as ebooks and are much more are much more um popular in terms of the mode of consumption as print books so the in in, in some cases like for example children's books or juvenile fiction non-fiction books the uptake as ebooks has been very low under 10 percent people prefer those books as print books and so, what we're like, I, what we're likely to see, I think, over the coming years, is that this this world of the book will remain a hybrid culture of print and digital, existing side by side, and individuals will read both in print, both print on paper, and also digital content. They would they are not forced to choose one or the other, so they will choose both, depending on when they're reading. What they're reading, and so on and so forth uh, and so I think in all likelihood that's what we're likely to see in terms of the um, in terms of the distribution of print and digital within the industry now, the other question which you touched on, I think in some ways is is the much more interesting and important one um, which is which is this that effectively we're living through. technological revolution now we're in the still in the you know early days of it uh the digital revolution and it's changing the world around us it's changing the ways in which we interact and communicate with people around us as illustrated simply by the fact that we're doing a podcast now um and during the last year during the pandemic and the lockdowns and so on people people in many ways have been forced to migrate into a virtual space in order to interact with others so this is symptomatic of an enormous change which is taking place in our social and political lives where we are interacting in different ways we are communicating in different ways the ways that we interacted and communicated 40, 50 years ago were very different from the ways they are today. So it's this very profound change in the information and communication environment that is likely to be the most significant long-term consequence for the publishing industry. And publishers have to think about what they're doing and who they are in relation to that changing environment. So for most of the history of publishing, publishers thought of themselves essentially as, well, what in business studies is called a B2B business, that is, a business that sells to other businesses. That is, the publisher sells to a bookseller, and they leave it to the bookseller to sell the books on to customers. They don't, the publisher, for most, for the most of the last couple of centuries, publishers didn't really know much about who their readers were. They didn't have to, because they simply had to get their books sold to the retailers and leave it to the retailers to do the rest. But they can't do that anymore in this new world in which we are now living. And the reason they can't do it anymore is, is twofold. On the one hand, the, many of those retailers have disappeared. Um, The transformations of the retail sector that I mentioned earlier on have in part led to the demise of many, many retailers, especially the independent booksellers. And even the big retail chains are under serious pressure. We know borders collapsed in 2010. Hundreds of bookstores disappeared overnight. And Barnes & Noble is under serious pressure financially. Uh, So they book. Publishers can no longer just rely on booksellers to drive demand with customers. Moreover, publishers have seen that more and more of their business is now being channeled through one retailer that operates in a very different way, namely Amazon, that doesn't operate in the same way, doesn't display books on stands and tables at the front of a bookstore, doesn't work in that way at all. It works in a completely different way. And publishers have no real control over how Amazon operates or whether they make their books visible to others at all. So publishers need to think again about who their customers really are. And in particular, they need to think again about their relation, not just with authors and retailers, but also their relation with the ultimate consumer, the reader, and how they can reach out to readers and be part of a conversation in which readers want to interact with authors. And publishers are the mediators, the facilitators of that conversation. And so this seems to me to be the really deep and profound challenge that publishers now face in this new digital age. And the one, the the, the publishers who are able to respond to that challenge in a creative and effective way are going to be the ones that are most successful in adapting to this transformation that we are living through.